been a while since I recorded one of these things, and I'm starting to wonder about this whole podcasting format. I've been recording podcasts for about 12 years now, and I'm really wondering who this is actually impacting. It's starting to feel a little bit like an echo chamber. And in the case of Long Funk in particular, what has happened is two or three groups of listeners have, the ones that have wanted to stay on, have come to Long Funk as a means of getting periodic update information associated with my life. For the past couple of months, I've been listening to a lot of World War II stuff through Audible. I finished the Nuremberg Trials, which were written in the late 60s, uh, because they make reference to Eichmann's capture and through listening to all this World War II material and I've been listening predominantly to German World War II material obviously the Nuremberg trials are not German well they could be it'd be very interesting actually I think there are books written by Germans about the Nuremberg trials maybe I'll need to look out for that but anyway I've been predominantly listening to German authors who were participants in the Second World War and I've recently, I'm about, I'm nearly three quarters of the way through my second German fighter ace collection, which is a collection of interviews with German fighter aces. And the interesting phenomena associated with the German fighter aces was they shot down many, many, many enemy planes. Well, allied planes. Each one of these aces shot down between 100 and 200 plus planes. So statistically, the life expectancy of a fighter pilot was not very long for either Allied or Axis flyers. But you have, I guess, a dozen or so German aces who survived through the Second World War. Now, some of them, well, one of them was very badly burnt. Many of them were shot up, but they actually survived and lived and went into civil and in some cases military aviation following the Second World War. Statistically, this is very difficult to imagine. And listening to their accounts, they're very matter-of-fact about their experiences. Now, most of this stuff is written 50 years after the fact, but they're very succinct, very focused, associated with the various stories that they want to tell. And it's a very curious kind of reconstruction of history to hear this associated with the German fighter races, but I wanted to talk a little bit about the Nuremberg trials because historically I've looked at the Nuremberg trials with a great degree of respect and honour. I think if the Nuremberg trials were applied today, particularly universally in circumstances of human rights abuses, but more importantly actual genocide, then you have a very interesting circumstance associated with what would contemporary war look like if the potential for a Nuremberg-like trial for the participants was there, and who would be charged under these kind of things. It's very interesting. I had a discussion with my mother associated with genocide in Iraq, and she actually is quite well-read associated with the Nuremberg definition of genocide. It created the term genocide. But one of the most curious characters, for me at least, in the Nuremberg trials, and in particular reflecting heavily as I have been associated with what I'm doing with this podcasting thing, is the case of Julius Stryker. Now, Julius Stryker published a weekly newspaper called Der Sturmer. Now, I think I get the pronunciation almost right. Some say Der Sturmer. I don't know. Anyway, it was 
the vanguard of Nazi literature is satirical in some regard, but really very bleak and curious with little elements of pornography and other things thrown in. And then, <laughs> quite curiously, the last four or five pages were devoted to, you know, white goods and the kind of thing that an uh, up-and-coming, you know, businessman would need in his kind of day-to-day accoutrements. It's very curious to have these really grotesque cartoons associated with, you know, world conspiracy of Jews versus, you know, the Aryans fighting Ford. A lot of really very strikingly disturbing photographs of, you know, Jews in the wild, so to speak. I've read probably far too many issues of Der Stürmer, and I'm now visually sensitive to the whole thing. It just strikes me now, it's very similar, I think, in many regards to a lot of the curious nationalistic pornography that existed in Australia. I mean, I'm really having flashbacks to magazines that don't even exist anymore, but had a combination of kind of nationalism and pornography, which only could have been done in Australia. I've, I've found a few of these magazines and have a small archive collection, although none of them are early enough. You can't find the earliest ones on eBay. But I always like to show this to people that might be curious associated with the darker aspects of programmed sexuality. But I'm digressing here. What strikes me about Julius Stryker is that he probably does not meet the level of war criminal fit for execution. If you believe in some regard associated with freedom of speech, and I'm a very, very strong freedom of speech advocate, my view is actually I find curious nationalistic publications, even nationalistic publications were ultimately used to kill my family members, very interesting. I think there's something that just exist and they exist in in the US to this day <laughs> they exist everywhere they exist in the UK these kind of publications exist everywhere so the thing associated with striker particularly through the nuremberg trials was that he was just really objectionable he used to do calisthenics naked in front of the other prisoners and in front of the guards he had this very almost homoerotic view of the human body and he really, I mean, the Nuremberg trials are the, the folks that were in the docks in Nuremberg are all really very curious psychologies. But Stryker in particular, listening to the Nuremberg trials, I thought, I just need to know a little bit more about this person. As he was, well, how does one say it? He wasn't well read. He had memorized a bunch of stuff, including obscure aspects of you know, Jewish literature and stuff like that. I mean, he had a, a repertoire of reading, which was very strange. And ironically, when they came to test all the prisoners' IQs, his was in the lower group. But actually, all the prisoners at Nuremberg were of above-average intelligence. He was just the lowest of the above-average intelligence folk there. But yes, he just strikes me as a character where clearly what he was producing was really disgusting and reprehensible. But looking at it from a media perspective, it actually doesn't really strike me as that bad. I mean, it's so strangely... I guess we've just become accustomed to this kind of hate iconography that it doesn't actually strike me. I mean, it's deeply offensive, clearly. It's very heavily focused on Jews. It's very heavily focused on Hitler's words against Jews 
and framing things in very particular fashions. But looking at it with a modern eye, it's very difficult to see it as being part of this. I mean, clearly there were people that read this thing and believed it, but it's just so ridiculous. And it strikes me that Stryker probably was considerably more mentally ill than most of the folk, you know, I mean, you've got Hess, <laughs> extreme. But most of the people in the dock at Nuremberg were not as crazy as Stryker was. So you've got this kind of madman with his naked calisthenics, and he was, you know, he was hung. He got the death penalty for producing Deschtumer. To look at something with modern eyes is a very different thing than to look at something with 1940s, 1950s eyes. And having modern eyes, I shouldn't underestimate. And also just the vast quantity of media that you consume if you look into the stuff. Clearly, it worked for a group of the population, but I just, I have a very strong view associated with what kind of information it takes to turn someone into, you know, a Nazi racist killer. I think that was through what seems to come through these things that I'm reading, which are always have to be viewed in the light of being hyper-positivist nonsense in some regard, because no one wants to write about how they were war criminals, right? That's just not going to come through. So the narrative of the military that I have read is just that they were everyday soldiering folk that were in these exceptional times and had these experiences. But there's no degree of kind of moral analysis. The whole notion of being first to invade and these kind of things which actually, strangely enough, the the best evidence of this, documentary evidence of this, is amateur YouTube footage of people that actually went and talked to German sh- soldiers in the, you know, 2000s and actually saw them in public and went up to them and had conversations with them associated with, like, what was the rationale once you had invaded doing all this additional stuff? So, yeah, I don't know if I'm just at a hypersaturation state but I did find the striker component to Nuremberg really very interesting. I understand the notion of Nuremberg is covering all possible bases. They wanted to bring every possible, every possible formalizable aspect of German society to trial. And striker represented the media in some regard. There was a radio presenter as well who sounded like Goebbels, who was also put on trial. It seems the weaker part of the case at Nuremberg. And I think it's because there's not a lot of I mean, it's relatively difficult to come to this kind of trial with notions of free speech and then to to create this demon out of this man who clearly is just really very mentally ill and quite disturbed through the process. Yeah, it was one of the lower points of the Nuremberg trials as I read them was just this thought of maybe this guy just should have gotten a life imprisonment. Like, to actually hang him seems to be distinctly different to the people that actually went and killed people or even were military generals but the argument at Nuremberg was as follows this guy created the ability the social acceptability to do the kinds of crimes against humanity that were committed in the second world war that he made it appropriate for there to be concentration camps and these kind of things and I guess even in this analysis point I can't see that there's any media that makes concentration camps appropriate. Like, I can't see in the written word or anything that could justify the mass extermination that occurred through the Holocaust. So I guess that's the barrier for entry. It's really my own psychology. Reading about Nuremberg is more a channeling of my own psychology. 
associated with what are these things? How do these things hold together? So I don't know. I'm getting to a point where I'm wondering how many more of these second books can I read? And the level of, I don't know, the level of enjoyment, the level of pleasure that I get about hearing about these battlefield experiences. And I mean, some of the authors are really just giving historical accounts, like they're really just reciting history. But the ones that I enjoy are the ones who tell anecdotal stories associated with particularly after the losses in Russia and the notion of, you know, just the, the Russian forces completely and utterly overrunning the Germans as they were pulled back. That psychology is something that I really find very empowering. It's something that I have to think about and deal with. And I don't know, I'm getting too much enjoyment out of doing this thing. It's starting to worry me, in fact, that I found it's almost, I don't want to use any like bizarro terms, but it's almost, it's almost too comfortable a space for me. That living in the past in this detail rich history with known components with a, a really rich understanding of what's going to happen next. And I do get things out of this, like the swing kids, for example. They come through in various bits of writing, and I never knew about the swing kids previously. And really, I didn't know that much about Striker previously. So when I find new stuff in this space, I dig deeper and deeper into it, and I want to find you know, more nuances. But hearing about the Allies, hearing about particularly American perspectives, it's very different. The quality of writing is very different compared to the practical nature of not only being defeated, but then being sent to the gulags for, you know, five to ten years. I mean, that creates a very different philosophical you know, mind state for this kind of reflection. What I find very curious through all these bits and pieces is that somehow I have to reconstruct myself after I conclude listening to this stuff. I don't know if I'm becoming more stupid listening to it as well. I don't know if it's contributing to some kind of World War II and dumbening. But I do feel very strongly that I'm developing a mindset more of a, a middle-aged man the more that I consume this stuff. And I'm going to just leave that thought there because ultimately I've got nothing more really to say about this topic.